Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. When his coaching career ended almost 95 years ago, he was so successful that he remains today as the NFL's winningest coach of all time. He won four NFL titles in six years of coaching. And in those four championship seasons, he piled up a phenomenal 42-2-6 record and did so with three different teams. And yet, in his only season with the Chicago Cardinals, he stumbled with his first losing campaign and was fired before the end of the schedule, never to coach again. Welcome, and in this episode of When Football Was Football, we'll look at the incredible career of Guy Chamberlain, a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. While Chamberlain excelled as both a professional player and coach from 1919 through 1927, it was his mysterious departure from the Cardinals in 1927 that today deserves a deeper look. Prior to his release by the Cardinals in 1927, Chamberlain clearly established his superiority on the coaching sidelines. He won two NFL titles with Canton in 1922 and 1923, another with the Cleveland Bulldogs in 1924, and a final crown with the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets in 1926. The only non-championship blemish during his unprecedented string of titles was in 1925 when he finished 13-7 with Frankfurt. So for those initial five games or five coaching seasons, Chamberlain compiled an overall record of 51-9-6. Since tie games did not count in the NFL standings at the time, Chamberlain was winning games at a remarkable 86% pace. But there is some mystery to the numerous accomplishments of Coach Chamberlain. For example, why did he leave the champion Frankfurt team after the 1926 season for the downtrodden Cardinals? And then, why in the world would Cardinals owner Chris O'Brien cut ties with Chamberlain before he could complete that 1927 schedule? There may be some unusual reasons for both of these questionable moves, although the opportunity for discovering specific proof was likely departed along with the parties involved in both situations. But let's take a look back at the history of Guy Chamberlain. He was born Berlin Guy Chamberlain on January 16, 1894 in Blue Springs, Nebraska. While he played football at Tiny Blue Springs High School, and he was the team captain, he was also known as a slugger on the Blue Springs Town baseball team. In July of 1911, the Blue Springs Weekly Sentinel reported that, in quotes, a home run by Guy Chamberlain with a man on base was a feature of the game, unquote when Blue Springs toppled neighboring Wymore 8-4. With limited options for playing sports in college, Chamberlain enrolled at Nebraska Wesleyan University in the fall of 1911. In the spring of 1912, the Beatrice Daily Sun newspaper marveled at Chamberlain's early collegiate accomplishments, stating, 
He is one of the twirlers, that's a pitcher, on the baseball team and in the annual field and track meet at Wesleyan, he won 19 points, one more than the highest score ever made before. On the gridiron, Chamberlain quickly earned plaudits by leading the Nebraska Wesleyan team to an undefeated season and the championship of the Nebraska Intercollegiate Athletic Association. The Omaha World Herald newspaper named the versatile Chamberlain, who played both halfback and end, to its All-Nebraska college team. After repeating as a member of the All-Nebraska Honor Squad in 1912, Chamberlain transferred to the much larger University of Nebraska. Despite sitting out the 1913 campaign due to his transfer, Chamberlain was a standout as Nebraska captured the Missouri Valley Conference Championship in both 1914 and 1915. During a senior season in 1915, Chamberlain scored 15 touchdowns as the Cornhuskers finished with a perfect 8-0 mark, including a 20-19 win over Notre Dame. It was no surprise that following the 1915 season, Chamberlain was the first member of a Nebraska team to be named an All-American. However, Chamberlain's journey to the professional ranks was not easy. It was a lengthy one, including a year spent helping out on the family farm, another year as a high school teacher and coach, and finally a stint in the U.S. Army from May of 1918 to October of 1919. Upon his discharge in the fall of 1919, Chamberlain signed on with Jim Thorpe and the Canton Bulldogs, providing Chamberlain with a taste of the professional grid game. In early 1920, George Hallis was hired to further develop the team for the Decatur factory called the Decatur Staley's football. And one of his first recruiting targets was the versatile Guy Chamberlain. The Staley's, of course, were part of the inaugural group of teams in the new American Professional Football Association, soon to become known as the National Football League. Chamberlain worked full-time at the Staley plant and played on the company's football, basketball, and baseball teams. The six-foot-two Nebraskans started all 12 games at end for the champion Staley's, who were 9-1-1 in 1921, and scored three touchdowns. According to author Mark Sorensen, Chamberlain none was bigger for his touchdowns than his interception and 90-yard runback in Cubs Park on December 4th to defeat the Buffalo All-Stars to clinch the national championship, his first of five as a player. George Hallis later wrote of Chamberlain, he was the best two-way end I've ever seen. He was a tremendous tackler on defense and a triple threat performer on offense. Then in 1922, Chamberlain was coached into becoming the player coach of the Canton Bulldogs. He pushed the Bulldogs on the defensive side and the club captured the NFL title with a 10-0-2 record while allowing just 15 points in those dozen contests. Chamberlain repeated that championship feat in 1923 when Canton remained undefeated with an 11-0-1 record and grabbed another NFL title. So, could he do it again in 1924? Of course. Although the Bulldogs were now based in Cleveland, Chamberlain led the club to a 7-1-1 ledger and the third straight NFL crown. Chamberlain's remarkable record with the Bulldogs over three years and in two cities was a mind-boggling 28-1-4. And yet, 
Following the 1924 season, Chamberlain departed the Bulldogs for still another player-coach position, this time with the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. The determined new coach reported early for his own practice sessions in 1925 and quickly issued a warning to his players, which included himself, as reported by the Philadelphia Inquirer, which said, They'll have to fight for their jobs, and that includes me, said Chamberlain. Frankfurt jumped out to a 9-1 record in 1925, and the local media was impressed with Chamberlain's coaching style. The Philadelphia Inquirer stated, Chamberlain's system of preparing a certain style of play for each game is bringing great results. The Frankfurt mentor is familiar with the various styles used by other league teams, and every week grounds his men in the best way to battle with the opposing eleven. But a series of injuries, including one to Chamberlain himself, detoured the championship hopes of Frankfurt down the stretch as the team struggled to a 13-7 league finish. Not to be deterred, Chamberlain returned to Frankfurt in 1926 and blitzed through the NFL with a 14-1-2 record, safely ahead of the Chicago Bears, who finished with a 12-1-3 mark. Again, since ties did not count in the standings in 1926, Frankfurt stats the NFL title based on those two extra wins. The turning point for the season was the Yellow Jackets 7-6 victory over the Bears on December 4, 1926, that ensured Chamberlain's fourth NFL championship as a coach and fifth as a player. His performance on the field did not suffer at all during this impressive stretch, as he was continually chosen, chosen to the All-Pro team. However, immediately after the 1926 title was decided, there were rumors that he would leave Frankfurt. The likely destinations were with the New York Giants or the Green Bay Packers, to which Chamberlain responded, I have nothing to say. It is a long time between now and the next football season. I may decide to do something which I may not have even thought of in my mind at the present time. In other words, Chamberlain did not deny the rumors which also mentioned that several Frankfurt players would follow Chamberlain wherever he landed. But on August 9, 1927, the Chicago Cardinals introduced Chamberlain as the team's new head coach. Apparently, it was not a surprise, as the Intelligence Journal newspaper reported. This news about Chamberlain was announced yesterday, although known to followers of pro football for several months. But, but why? One solid theory was that the Frankfurt organization experienced a change at the top of the conclusion of the 1926 season when the president of the managing Frankfurt Athletic Association resigned and was replaced by the organization's attorney. There may have been a difference in viewpoints between Chamberlain and the new boss, and it may have been over money, not an unusual occurrence in professional sports. So, in my humble opinion, it was probably about money, but not in the usual sense. It was not because Chamberlain jumped to the Cardinals for significantly more money, because basically the cards were nearly broke in 1927. Rather, the new Frankfurt president may not have wished to pay fair wages to the players that Chamberlain wished to retain for the Yellow Jackets to defend their title in 1927. Instead of fleeing for more cash, Chamberlain was perhaps seeking refuge with a new team that might present him with a new challenge and thus sparing him from avoiding the dismantling of his previous championship club due to lack of adequate financial support. 
Indeed, the Chicago Cardinals were woeful in 1927, finishing 3-7-1, although Chamberlain was gone before the final two games were played. He was replaced by team captain Ben Jones for the final two contests. Chamberlain's record was 2-6-1 before his firing by owner Chris O'Brien, following a 28-7 loss against the Giants in New York on November 20, 1927. The day before that game, on November 19, 1927, the Cardinals were edged by Frankfurt, 12-8. During this game, Chamberlain was honored by the still-adoring Frankfurt fans who presented him with a gold watch and a basket of flowers upon his first trip back to the area after winning the 1926 NFL title. The Morning Call newspaper wrote, Chamberlain received a great ovation when he stepped onto that gridiron. Well, the release of Chamberlain when the team returned to Chicago was barely noticed by the local media, with the Chicago Tribune simply stating prior to the Cardinals' Thanksgiving battle with the Bears on November 24th, Dissatisfied with the showing of the Cardinals, manager Chris O'Brien has changed his lineup for this morning's game. Guy Chamberlain, Cardinal coach, has been released, and the Cardinals will be directed by Ben Jones, captain of the team. Once again, this decision regarding Chamberlain was clouded and questionable. As with his departure from Frankfurt the previous year, there are no existing records regarding the reasons for the change. So, we'll provide you with one or maybe two. Based on interviews that Chamberlain gave around and after the time of his release from the Cardinals, he hinted broadly that he would welcome the opportunity to coach his old school, the University of Nebraska. In fact, Chamberlain provided a highly unusual guarantee that he would not accept any salary for his coaching expertise if Nebraska lost a single game during his initial season. The Des Moines Register summarized the situation with Coach Chamberlain at the time. It said, Chamberlain declared he had tired of pro football and not only would like to coach at his alma mater, but would guarantee to produce an all-victorious team his first year, regardless of schedule, or he would accept no salary. It should be noted that at the time, however, anyone affiliated with a professional football team would not be allowed to coach or officiate a team in the Missouri Valley Conference. That regrettable rule would soon disappear. The Chamberlain's role as a longtime professional player and coach would disqualify him from coaching Nebraska. It's also reasonable to assume that Cardinals owner Chris O'Brien was aware of Chamberlain's restlessness. This may have contributed to a fracture in their relationship, resulting in Chamberlain being banished from the south side of Chicago. In fact, the post-crusted newspaper in Wisconsin picked up a story shortly before the departure of Chamberlain that stated, the Cardinal coach isn't used to getting beat. So far this season, the team has dropped more games than it has won, and there's a bit of grumbling among the followers of the Southsiders. Since it was rare that reporters interviewed fans back in 1927, the so-called grumbling may have been derived from Chris O'Brien himself. There are famous stories in Chicago of Bears owner George Hellas writing up game summaries in the 1920s and hand-delivering these articles personally to newspaper offices in Chicago in hopes of securing some much-needed print space for his team. Again, it might be reasonable for O'Brien to plant his thoughts with specific media personnel before he finally took the plunge and fired Chamberlain. 
It would have been unusual for O'Brien to do so, but possible, especially if he sensed his coach was already looking elsewhere for employment during the dismal 1927 season. As it was, Chamberlain was never again a head coach on any level. He returned to farming and was named to the College Football Hall of Fame in 1962 and then the Professional Football Hall of Fame in 1965. His NFL coaching record of 58, 16, and 7 remains as the finest winning percentage of 784 of all time. He was also selected as the and as one of the ends on the NFL's all-decade team for the 1920s. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of When Football Was Football, and we'd like to leave you with one final note. Most official sources credit Chamberlain with absorbing the record for all the Cardinals games in 1927, which would have been 3-7-1. The team did split two games after Chamberlain left, which should leave his record for the year at 2-6-1 instead, and his all-time record at 57-15-7. Since ties again did not count in the standings, Chamberlain's revised winning percentage would now improve slightly to 792. Not much, but not bad, and still the best. Please join us next time on the Sports History Network as we examine the life and times of Big Bad Doug Atkins, the giant six-foot-eight defensive end of the Chicago Bears. With his size, Atkins could go around defenders, jump over them, or simply run over a block. Thank you again. Until next time, this is Joe Ziemba, when football was football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup. Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast is a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squire's a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on a Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.